Good morning, Upper Westchesterfield. This is Rockin' Ricky Rialto. That was Ross Hagen and the Wonder Women with their bluegrass classic, Eat a Dick James Cameron. And you are listening to WVAR All Talk Radio. It is 6.30 on a humid Monday morning. Have you been outside? God knows the temperature's hot enough to hatch a stone. Anyway, thanks for waking up with me. Now let's take a shower together for the news. I just checked my Twitter feed and everything is still either terrible or completely fine. Several videos have been uploaded and liked on YouTube, and Donald Trump still hasn't gotten the 280 character limit, thank Christ. That's everything important. This is WVAR All Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to WVAR All Talk Radio. This is Rockin' Ricky Rialto, and now a new feature we like to call The Darkness That Destroys Your Soul. (sighs) There's an old phrase, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. One need only look at human history to see that more often than not, this is the case. There's another old phrase, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Now, I'm not surprised at all by the allegations against Harvey Weinstein. I mean, look at the man. He's the creepy uncle you once caught masturbating into a potted plant while watching Saved by the Bell. Besides that, he has a lot of power. And as we all know... (sighs) Now, if we accept the allegations are true, and we kind of have to at this point, there is something else we must accept. Other powerful people in Hollywood knew. This could not have been covered up for decades without help. 
Now, a pretty good case can be made for Ben Affleck, knowing. Side note, I'm still not sure if Rose McGowan has been unblocked from Twitter as of this recording. And this saddens me, both Rose McGowan being blocked and the fact that Ben Affleck may be a complete douche. Now, on the one hand, he's a great Batman. On the other hand, he's a pretty pervy interview. The video's out there, and it is gross. Now, contrary to what people want you to believe, this isn't a left or a right problem. It isn't a Hollywood or a Washington problem. This is a power problem. And the only way it is ever going to change is if we change. We as a species need to learn to resist the corruption of power to become better people. We need to learn from history. We need to evolve. That is today's darkness that destroys your soul. We'll be right back. Mama who bore me, Mama who gave me, Mama the angels, who made me so sad. Mama who bore me, Mama who gave me, no way to handle things, who made me so sad. Mama the weeping, Mama the angels, no sleep in heaven or Bethlehem. Some pray. in the afternoon. This is Rockin' Ricky Rialto, and you're listening to WVAR All Talk Radio. Now, the new movie crew will be stopping by in a few minutes. I have no idea what film they're talking about because I only get my reviews from Ain't It Cool and Screen Junkies. But before we get to that, we have a very special film analysis from a very special guest. Had enough, it's Ack here, and I got the length of this song, Mama Look Sharp, from the film version of 1776, to tell you why Darren Aronofsky's mother exclamation point didn't look sharp. Now, 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 yeah, it looks great. It has some amazing performances, particularly from Michelle Pfeiffer and Jennifer Lawrence's nipples, and some shit happens in the third act that would have seriously messed with my head if I hadn't already seen a Serbian film. But I don't get it. Now, I have an interpretation of what the film means. In fact, I talked to eight of the 35 people who saw it opening day, and I got eight different interpretations of what it means. Now, Aronofsky has stood on this precipice before, but with mother exclamation point, he has out metaphor David Lynch, officially stolen the mighty hammer of pretentiousness from Oliver Stone, and in doing that has made a flick that, like James Cameron, openly begs for discussion and continued relevance. That is a genuinely impressive trifecta. Well done, Darren. Now, during previews, critics were handed a book Aronofsky wrote them explaining why he made this film. He is angry. Angry at the state of the world, and this fever dream of a story is his reaction to it. 
Several decades ago, one of the directors I just mentioned said more or less the exact same thing and also made a surreal, hyper-violent fever dream. The difference between the two is at the end of Natural Born Killers, you know exactly what Stone is angry about. Now, I've seen Mother Exclamation Point twice now, once alone, once with the Lamy, and I have no fracking clue what is up Aronofsky's ass. Even worse, he said in an interview that one of the main things that spawned this was climate change. Climate change. If you saw Mother Exclamation Point and you got climate change, write the studio and explain it to me. I ain't kidding. Inquiring minds want to know. And, and I wanted to like Mother Exclamation Point. I, I really did. I like all of Aronofsky's other films, even Noah, God help me. And there is stuff to like in Mother Exclamation Point. But I did not walk out saying, let's talk about religion or climate change or Jennifer Lawrence's nipples. I walked out saying, damn, Aronofsky is a pretentious asswap. And I hate it. But it happened, so what you gonna do? Anyway, once the song ends, we're going right to the Unknown Movie Challenge, so until later, maybe, namaste. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. That's, That's right. right. It's, it's the, the unknown, unknown movie, movie challenge. challenge. It's the unknown. What movie. we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie challenge. That's right. It's, it's the, the Unknown, unknown movie, movie Challenge. Ready for battle. And welcome to the Unknown Movie Challenge. Sadly, Jeff will not be joining us for this episode because he's still exhausted from giving a tour de force performance of his one-man show, Mother! Exclamation point, may I sleep with danger. But since this week we're looking at Kingsman the Golden Circle, check your local listings for theaters and showtimes, we have the new movie crew with us, Mary Clevenger, along with Blanche Ramirez and John Zira, the voices of Better Living Through Bad Movies, the audiobook. Hey, guys. Uh, hi. <laughs> the timid Blanche, who's apparently peeking out of the knothole in a hollow stump. <laughs> He's making cookies. Oh, that's what that lovely smell is. Excellent. All right, let's get on with the show. But first, a word from Squarespace. Are you looking to grow your business by building a website? Squarespace is the premier... I'm kidding, we're not sponsored by Squarespace. I doubt Squarespace even knows we exist, and frankly, you know, I like to keep it that way, since I've been secretly living in Squarespace's old tool shed with a dog for the past month, kind of like Woody Harrelson did in Indecent Proposal. So I'd appreciate it if you just didn't tell them about us. Okay? Thanks. I'll do you a solid one day. Oddly enough, we do actually have a sponsor this episode, but we're not getting paid for it, of course, because we have to maintain our AAU amateur standings. Mary has a book that she's read and we'd like to share with you. I do. actually went to uh, Barnes & Noble's and bought actual books. An actual brick-and-mortar bookstore. Yes. What? I know. I know. Like, 
It was like going to the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry to see the fake coal mine. Look, it's a diorama of books in their natural environment. Should I be saying, what is that again? <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking for a new book to read and enjoy, and I found a book in amongst the Sherlock Holmes books, and its title is Warlock Holmes. Ah. The author is G.S. Denning, and Warlock Holmes is an incompetent detective, but a very good warlock. And uh, John Watson is terrified, but is apparently apologizing for bringing a, around the age of demons. That's the first, like, two paragraphs, just him apologizing. I'm so sorry. Terribly sorry. Completely my fault. And uh, it's a study in brimstone, and it's hilarious. It is so funny. And um, just a great, and a good mystery in there, too. And it's a book series, or? Well, it's just started. This was the first book. The second book came out in May. That's Baskervilles, the Hellhound of the Baskervilles, I think. Cute. What it's called. But what I love is this, this alternate universe. So there's Warlock Holmes, incompetent detective. Lestrade is a nihilist. Am I saying that right? No. Not even close. <laughs> I knew I wasn't. Nihilist? Nihilist. Is a nihilist vampire. We'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. And we won't even discuss your pronunciation of vampire. <laughs> vampire. It's a vampire. <laughs> and one of the other inspectors is an, an ogre. <laughs> well, nobody can just stay in their damn lane in the story, can they? But it's really, it's enjoyable. It's so much fun. So read it. It's perfect for Halloween. Available on paper, apparently. Yes. And, this and episode Mor brought to you by <laughs> Warlock Holmes. Also, Moriarty is in the story as a spirit trapped in Warlock Holmes' head. Okay. Yeah. I, that I don't know about. No. <laughs> okay. But let's not forget, we're here to talk about Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Uh, directed by Matthew Vaughn, film was written by Matthew Vaughn and his usual collaborator, Jane Goldman, and based on the comic book series by Mark Millar and Dave Gibbons. This is, parenthetically, Vaughn's third adaptation of a Mark Millar book after Kingsman, The Secret Service, and Kick-Ass. So first things first, I subscribe to the opinion that genre films in general and spy films and superhero films in particular are only as good as their bad guys. So let's ask the question, how does Julianne Moore, who played what Jeff called Sue Ann Nivens as a ruthless drug kingpin, stack up against uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who played the villain in the original film? Blanche? Uh, um, I, I, not as well. And I don't know that she was caricature-y enough. Mm -hmm. And that's too bad. Uh, cause yeah, I, I didn't, uh, I'm just going to give you my overall, I didn't love this one. I loved the first one. Okay. Um, uh, this one, hmm, that's was fine, but you can miss it. All right. I, I was annoyed by Samuel Jackson's wisp. <laughs> His wisp. <laughs> Is what, that, that, we're, we're a walker to tiger talk. You know what I mean? It's just, that annoyed me. It was, it got, it got I got used to it after a while, but mm -hmm. it took a long time to get used to that. He did commit to it, though. You got to give him that. He did. Mary? Oh, no, wait. Ha! Here's the thing. Mary didn't see the first one. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I did see trailers for the second one, and I want to say they left stuff out of the movie that they put in the trailers, which always confuses me. Yeah. Well, your beef is with the marketing department, um, which actually puts you in 
pretty good company because uh, director Matthew Vaughn is also peeved at the marketeers for spoiling what he'd intended to be uh, a surprising reveal. Um, anyone who's seen the first film knows that Colin Firth's character, Harry Hart, um, who is a master spy and recruited and mentored Taron Egerton's character, Eggsy, died. Uh, well, he didn't uh, apparently fully die. He began the process of dying in the first film and just never got around to completing it. Um, it's kind of like that high school GED. And that was supposed to be a nice little a nice little amuse-bouche for the audience when they came back and, and uh, he reappeared. But the uh, marketing department thought, oh, you know what? It's going to be easier to get uh, fans of the first film back into the theater for a sequel if all the main characters return as well. So they spliced Colin Firth into the trailer and spoiled the crap out of that. And there's nothing Vaughn could do because you cannot overrule the marketing department. Well, we have to put some blame to the, uh, the film editor <laughs> who just decided those pieces weren't necessary. That's true. That's true. So your um, judgment is that you prefer Julianne Moore's villain because she did not have a speech impediment? Yeah. Okay. Well, this, she has her own, but it's, it's hers. For myself, I still prefer Samuel L. Jackson's villain because I found Poppy, uh, the Julianne Moore character, woefully deficient in the psychic department. I really missed an analog for Sophia Patella's kick-ass muscle in Kingsman the Secret Service. Although I do give Poppy credit uh, for keeping um, Elton John as a musical slave. That was new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. He stole all the the scenes he was in. He did. And and that you know that's not good when you're supposed to be some compelling villain. Yeah, yeah. He he did. Uh, he completely stole every scene he was in, and um, she let herself get shown up by some Elon Musk manke with an Elmer Fudd lisp, and you know, Frank. Well, that's her problem. Do something about it, Julianne. You're the one with the Oscar. Is she? Does she have an Oscar? She probably does. Does <laughs> I think she? Yeah, she, think she, yeah, she, got, she got one. For, I think Elton probably has one too. For <laughs> oh yeah, he does for Lion King. No, but she got one for that one where she played the woman with all early onset Alzheimer's. I can't remember right. the name of it. <laughs> I, see, <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Okay. I can't. Help it. Oh, that's good. That's for fun. Okay, so Blanche felt the Golden Circle was weak, on a par perhaps with the Golden Corral. John, how did you like it on its own merits, and how do you think it fares as a sequel? Well, it's, see, I went to see it with much trepidation because for several reasons. One uh, was because the ads seemed to stress the American connection yeah, a lot, did. Yeah. And, 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 not, and not directly. They would just kind of like say something, I don't know, that alluded to it. They made a joke out of the whatever they were. It was, but it was still very much pushing the American connection. Mm-hmm. And secondly, after after those tremendously ludicrous and wonderful fight scenes in the first one, um, that were also so violent that you sat to say, "Why am I enjoying this? Yeah. <laughs> this is so horrible." And yet they went there. Uh, that I said, I thought they'd never be able to match that. Mm-hmm. And I. And I don't think that they quite matched it, but the what they had 
for me was enduring enough. And uh, so I did get enjoyment out of the film. Because the American Connection was a little, I don't know. Uh, I could have done with uh, done without some of it and stuff. So we're kind of upset that, that uh, what do you call it? Uh, ah, what's his name again? Channing Tatum. No, yeah, Channing Tatum instead of... Uh, Magic Mike instead of uh, Mark Strong. Yeah, Mark Strong. <laughs> the fact that they left uh, uh, Magic Mike and, and Mark Strong's gone because I just love me some Mark Strong, let me tell you. But, uh, well, so does uh, Matthew Vaughn, evidently, because he's used uh, Mark Strong in four films that I can think of off the top of my head. So, But I will say I was glad that Channing Tatum was not in it as much as I was afraid he was going to be in it, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was, you know, I was a little, oh, Channing Tatum's in it. Oh, okay, that's fine. Let's see. But then what I saw when we first... You know, in the in in the movie, I was uh, underwhelmed, not enjoying this. Oh no, he's going to be the lead, right? Ugh. I and then he was gone. Standing him, so. Well, then he was gone, and I was very happy. But then, to see him at the end as as the perhaps Mark Strong takeover, you know, the replacement, uh, that made me very sad. Yes, I was not happy to see that either. Although I think uh, Halle Berry is the one to one. Mark Strong analog uh, in the Kingsman world. Um, you know what? A film that I think had just exactly the right amount of uh, Channing Tatum uh, was Hail Caesar. Yes. Yes. Just that, keep him dancing. Just keep him dancing. Exactly. Uh, give him some comic business. Give him a few funny lines. He can be charming. Uh, give him a little screen time. Not too much. Don't build your movie around him. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, Mary, not having seen the first film, did you like it? Did it make sense? Were you baffled? Were you bored? Were you entertained? I was entertained. I thought it was it was fun. I liked uh, a lot of the the fight scenes. I liked the thing that happened with the the ski lift. I thought it was kind of hokey to have a, a traitor, a whiskey person. I never really. If I had liked him more, if it had been like Halle Berry who was a traitor, that would have been more interesting. This whiskey person, I was like, Meh. yeah. Well, he had aviator glasses. He had a big '70s style mustache. He he wore a hat the entire movie. You barely saw his face. And our reaction is supposed to be, "What? No, it's him." When it's really, to, who is he? What? Who's that guy? <laughs> um, and That's then the- Pedro Pascal, by the way. For those of us who know who he is, we're very excited to see him. <laughs> <laughs> And the flashback where Colin Firth is going to shoot his puppy. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> I didn't like that. I could not be a kingman. If that's how they test them. I, I don't care if the dog dies or not. I if they shoot a puppy. No. Well, neither could our lead character, Eggsy, uh, in the first film. He failed that test. Oh, oh. did he? Yeah. Well, good for him. And yet he snuck in the back door of the kingsman just because there was an apocalypse going on. Mm. Well... Here's what I didn't like. Uh, I have to agree with John. I walked in suspecting they were going to have a really hard time devising anything to compare with that delirious shootout and melee in the church in the first film, uh, because that was just the most crazy balls thing ever. And I don't think they did manage to compete with, let alone top that scene. It, It also didn't help that the big violent climax in this movie, took place on what looked like the set from Pleasantville. It didn't have anything like the, the, the church fight scene, nor did it have anything like the, the, the ending of the first one, which is everybody's heads exploding, which was also 
ridiculously beyond the pale in, in just, oh my goodness, everybody's heads are exploding. Uh, <laughs> oh, my head is exploding because, because their heads are exploding. And it was so silly and it was so ridiculous and it was so over the top and it, it was funny. And this, not not that I wanted this, I'm glad that this, uh, that the sequel didn't try and match scene for scene type of stuff. I mean, I, I got worried when with the bar scene. When that yes. started happening, yeah. I was like, oh no, Crone, they're going to do a... Right. I thought they were going to do a shot-for-shot, line-for-line recapitulation of the pub scene from the first film. Yeah. And, but, but it's almost like they said, but no, no, wait, 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 you'll see, you'll see, it's different, wait, wait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so this one didn't have anything like that, and, and I don't know, I, I, I start off by saying it didn't have anything that great, but then I end up saying, but I'm glad they didn't do, you know, so I don't... I, I don't know. It just cause kind of a. I, it just left me a little lukewarm. It, I, I recognize that it's a lot of fun, but not as good as the first one. Well, it definitely. I mean, one of the things I I thought about was like, well, this is definitely following like a James Bond movie timeline. You know, there's a the girlfriend of one of the bad guys, and she ends up dying. Um, so it kind of reminded me of a ultraviolet bond. Well, that's interesting because uh, watching this one, it did feel like Kingsman is supposed to be a brighter, younger, faster version of the bond franchise, you know, dumbed down for today's audiences, kind of in the same way network executives in the seventies, new kids would never sit through a monogram Charlie Chan movie, but they would get up on Saturday morning, pour out a bowl of fruit loops and watch the amazing Chan and the Chan clan. <laughs> So do you think this is basically just Bond for people with a short attention span who like shiny may, colors? Maybe. maybe. I, truth, truthfully, uh, true to the Bond uh, franchise, the villains always have an unlimited amount of money. They do. Mm-hmm. And an unlimited amount of technology behind them and stuff. So, yeah. May, maybe, but the movie was still two and a half hours. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of long for a short attention span. That's true. It was verging on Skyfall territory. That's actually another interesting point, because in the Bond books, when the villains have money, the implication is always that it's Moscow gold, that they're they're being funded by the Eastern Bloc. Um, In the movies, they shied away from direct confrontation with the Russians, really from the beginning, from Dr. No on, um, in favor of sinister supranational organizations and you don't really know where specter gets its funding from i i guess we're supposed to assume that all their previous efforts to hold the world to ransom worked and it's only this one that goes tits up because bond happened to stumble into it Mm -hmm. nowadays though it feels like you have to account for where the money comes from I guess because our whole society is now based on fame whoring and wealth gawking. And in the first Kingsman, it's obvious uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, Valentine, can self-finance his cull of the human race because he's a Bill Gates-like tech zillionaire. And in the current film, it's it's all drug money because Poppy is a combination of June Cleaver and Pablo Escobar. I feel like she was less like a d- drug dealer and more like a, a morning host on a like like a Today Show. Yeah, I could see Poppy with Hoda. And it's it's always amazing to me that uh, that rich of a drug dealer never fell on anybody's radar. Yeah, and that's that's how good she was. You know, that's true. Uh, personally, I don't think uh, Kingsman is a Bond surrogate for one reason. Uh, Eggsy isn't a character; he's a grievance. You know, he's a, he's a working class bloke with a chip on his shoulder out to prove himself to the toffs, which is 
fine, but I suspect that's an archetype which works better for British than American audiences, since we're more about racial prejudice than class resentment in this country, um, which is also why I think the story wouldn't work as well in an American context. Uh, the first film, Michael Caine's Arthur, who's basically M, uh, is a terrible snob, which, which is fine because you just want to see Eggsy make him eat his words. But it would have been hard to root for Kingsman as an organization if Arthur had been a terrible racist. Although, actually, you know, now that I think about it, maybe he was, because I don't remember any black or brown people in the first Kingsman film, except the villains, which exactly. were one I, of each. That's what I was thinking. It's not like they had any, there was no racism to be had because they didn't have anybody who was not white. So, yeah. And, and all the Kingsmen on, on either side of the Atlantic are one percenters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they're all the all the people with money and rich, etc. With cowboy hats and yeah. Oh, just parenthetically, uh, one thing I really did like about Michael Caine was his casting in the first film constituted a delightful wink to elderly audience members like myself who remembered um, his history playing Harry Palmer, who was called the Cockney James Bond, in uh, three films in the 1960s: The Ipcress File, Funeral in Berlin, and Billion Dollar Brain. Uh, because uh, Harry Palmer was kind of like Eggsy without the superpowers. He was uh, he was this working class super spy who was always uh, underestimated and condescended to by his posh superiors and his opponents. So I think I have to think that that was deliberate on Matthew Vaughn's part. Right. Anyway, uh, just to finish my original incoherent point, Bond is an iconic character. He's maybe kind of a tired character now. Maybe maybe an obsolete character but he is distinguishable from other similar archetypes. And it's not fair to make a one-to-one comparison between Bond and Eggsy because Eggsy's only had two movies and doesn't have a, a literary legacy to fall back on. But I don't know that anyone will ever say, let's go see the new Eggsy movie in the same way they do. Let's go see the new Bond. Um, I don't even know Eggsy's last name. But uh, I like Taron Egerton. I think he plays him with a lot of charm. Uh, I like the character. In fact, I liked all the characters from the first film, and I like them equally well in the second film. But if you replaced Taron Egerton, I don't think you get a big brouhaha blowing up on the internet like we have whenever there's a new Bond in the offing. Uh, because I don't think Kingsman as a franchise is really about the characters. I think it's more about the directorial style and the writing. It's about the swoopy camera moves and the overblown, fast-moving ultraviolence and the physics-bending almost Warner Brothers cartoon-like action sequences. I think if you kept all the same actors, but fired Matthew Vaughn as writer-director and brought in someone like like Martin Campbell or, or Sam Mendes, uh, then you would get a brouhaha. Oh, the ha and the brew you would get then. It's a tour de force for the director. I, 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 I can agree with that. Uh, however, having said that, I let me contradict myself by saying that I do like the characters and I admire the time and effort the filmmakers put into building relationships between them. I, I think that paid off handsomely in the first film when Harry dies, or seemingly dies, and it paid dividends in the sequel as well. I was genuinely sad to see Merlin perish, and I was actually kind of upset when Roxy was killed, partly because I really liked having a woman moving through the story, who wasn't a femme fatale or a victim and who possessed all the same skills as our hero. And I was hoping that they'd give her more to do, not less oxygen to breathe. Mm -hmm. 
And having said that, maybe they overdid the deaths a bit. I understand they were introducing a whole new set of uh, agents with the statesmen, so they had to cull the cast. But uh, by the time they got around to killing off Mark Strong, I was thinking, uh, you know, this is maybe a little much. I feel like now I'm just being uh, manipulated. But he got to sing. He did get to sing. That's true. And I, that was a thing I never knew I'd been waiting my whole life to, to hear. <laughs> Who knew? Okay, so I think the consensus is that it's a worthy sequel. It's certainly fun, but it is by no means as gobsmacking as the original was. Is that fair to say? Uh, no, no. It's definitely not as gobsmacking as the first film. But if you haven't seen the first film, Mary, you think it's worthwhile? I mean, I think it's worthwhile probably anyway. But, um, I mean, how exciting is it, Mary? It was fine. It was fun. I would say, though, you don't need to see it in the big movie theater. And you, Al, agrees um, (laughs) that it's a, we would say it's a renter. Right, you, Al? (laughs) See? She agrees. See, I actually thought that the uh, bringing in the American element kind of, detracted from uh the concept of the kingsman because to me the concept of the kingsman was here are these stiff upper lip natty people who are kick-ass and like can fight and get and kill with great alacrity and 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 skill especially colin firth uh, which which i'm very impressed by the fact that they could actually uh do fight scenes with colin firth and make it look realistic mm-hmm. um so, I but, I like his fight scenes. I don't yeah, know. I totally love them, and I totally believe them. And I, I I can't believe that they they actually were able to film that with Colin Firth in it. You know, but but once you start bringing in the Americans, it's then your your stiff upper lip kind of people had to be people who were good old boys with lots of money. Yeah, you know? and I it just of, it is the same thing. You know. Yeah, they, they didn't have it wasn't as American as I was expecting from the trailers. It seemed like like you guys were saying, you know, Channing Tatum. Um, he seemed to be featured a lot in the trailer. And it seemed like the statesmen seemed like a bigger part of the movie. And then the actual movie, it felt like they weren't really I don't know. I felt like they were hardly in it. And I'm uh, grateful for that. I, I <laughs> No, because it is a Kingsman movie. It's not a Statesman movie. And yeah, you want to introduce them, but not have them take over. And I was I was actually grateful for that. And I don't know, I was kind of thinking, I mean, I don't know how well it did the first time around, the first film, how well it did in the American audience. It made me wonder, Based, you know, the trailers made me wonder if they were trying to capture more of that audience by, you know, showing... Channing Tatum. In fact, they showed Channing Tatum a whole bunch. Hardly showed Pedro Pascal, and he was in it more than Tatum was. I don't think I ever heard Pedro Pascal utter a line in any of the trailers. Uh huh. Exactly. And so I I don't understand. I guess that's what their angle was. But personally, I think they were overestimating Channing Tatum as a draw. So somebody tell me what kind of a drug dealer makes a deal to make drugs legal and taxed and doesn't ask for a monopoly. Yeah, she's. It's like, really? Are you really a villain? Hold on. Yeah, how did you manage to become the best drug retailer in the world? So rich you can afford to basically put the 1950s set from Back to the Future on top of a volcano, but you didn't think to ask for the same deal that Google gets. 
because she's a pure capitalist, Mm -hmm. classic, and believes in the free open market. Ah, and she's a cannibal. It is. That's just creepy. Yeah, true. Although that's uh, basically just taking capitalism to its logical extension. (laughs) Actually, when I realized that they were introducing an American counterpart to the Kingsman. Uh, one thing did concern me, and that's a lot of the comedy from the first film derived from everybody being a perfect example of their own stereotype. Kingsmen are these, as John said, stiff upper-lipped gentlemen in bespoke suits. Uh, Eggsy's this shifty chav type with pretensions to small-time crime. And so it seemed likely that if they did bring in Americans, that they'd all have Southern accents and wear cowboy hats and be big, boisterous, good old boys. And indeed, they were. (laughs) And I guess they put Channing Tatum in a giant beer cooler for most of the movie because they have further plans for him and didn't want him to turn out to be the bad guy, to be the traitor. Uh, Pedro Pascal, on the other hand, thanks for playing. Here's the home game. Please die now. It had to be the brown guy. It had to be the brown guy. It had to be. And it wasn't Halle Berry. Right. For a moment, I thought it was. Because you have to keep one girl alive. I, for a moment, I thought she was in cahoots with uh, with whiskey when she, she does, first brought him around. Yeah. She, she does vouch for him, yeah. Although I did think it was a bit of a cheat to bring back Colin for his character. I was happy to see him, but now I'm retroactively embarrassed over how moved I was by his death. Especially because it turns out uh, you can get shot in the face and you're going to be fine as long as somebody's standing there with one of those blow-up sleep masks that people wear on airplanes. But one thing I did like was he comes back, they restore his memory, he's resurrected from the dead, but he's still missing an eye. So he's got pretty bad depth perception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he keeps missing. He would, you know, throw a knife and miss. He'll shoot and miss. So The, the famous flinging of the, uh, the, the beer glass in the pub scene right. that would smash into the guy's face. Totally missed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Same thing. Just... As, as I said, just different. Wait, it's different. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> so all in all, I think it was fun, and they've already announced Kingsman three. Eggsy marks goes. the spot. Yeah. Eggsy marks the spot. <laughs> Do other con- Are there are there other what would you call them franchises in other countries? <laughs> well, there's the Kingsman, the Statesman. I shudder Canada. Think, no, I really do shudder to think what that would be. But you could do Canada. I think with maybe without with minimal blowback, but honestly, you get to any other countries or certainly countries with that are majority uh, people of color and you're going to get in big trouble. If you start trafficking in the same degree of stereotyping. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So it's tough. (laughs) Germany's pretty good at taking a joke, but I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get to fascinating, irritating. Uh, Mary, let's start with you. Okay, fascinating. Hang on. Um, fascinating. What was fascinating? Stand by. <laughs> okay, this is like one of those Scantron tests. If you get stuck, go on to the next question. You can come back to this one later if you have time. I mean, it was fa- what was fascinating was I don't think that. Sorry, I don't know what was fascinating. It was just a fun movie. That okay. That? Okay. No, it's good. My fascinating Elton John. He what? was so much fun to see, and and he he was more than a cameo. So that was fascinating. And then Julianne Moore. 
I just she was she annoyed me. Like I said, she was like a Kathy Lee Gifford. If she was a, if Kathy Lee Gifford was an evil genius. Actually, it might have been better if she had tried to channel Kathy Lee Gifford, and then she may have been, you know, caricature like Samuel Jackson was. She was sort of vapid. Yeah, uh, it wasn't enough. Wasn't enough at all. Uh, yeah, again, she needed she needed a henchman that she that lasted the whole length of the movie with her. So you because she needed Hoda. She just kept killing off her henchmen, so we didn't get to know them, and and we got to know a lot about Valentine through his relationship with um, uh, Sophia Patella's character. So no, her henchman was the guy with the one arm. Yeah, I, I barely think of him as being a henchman because it seemed like it's more like a partner with his own agenda. Because he, since he was introduced in the first Kingsman, and he had a he has a very personal beef with Exy. Um, but I guess, yeah, yeah I guess that's he, who it was. And unfortunately, they missed out on an opportunity to create some, some, at least some engaging uh, sort of henchman because of her robot. You know, I don't trust anybody. I just that's why I rely on oh, robots because they're so reliable. She could have had her own little BB-8, you know, you know, BFF robot that did everything or, you know, her yes men robot that would have been interesting and funny or, you know, she could have talked to them and they could have had moments uh, and they didn't do that and they, I think they missed out maybe that's a good point because the uh, the robot dogs didn't really do much for me they and in in the movie they didn't seem to do anything that real dogs couldn't have done and real dogs would have been cute the problem of course is that uh, you can't have the heroes killing real dogs especially real cute dogs because then they become instantly unsympathetic that yeah and it I was think- for the joke at the end with Elton John friend oh that's true that's true. That's uh, something they set up earlier and paid off rather nicely at the climax of the film. So uh, I withdraw my complaints about the robot dogs. Kudos to you, Kingsman. Uh, John, most fascinating, most irritating thing about the film? Well, fascinating, again, for me was the fact that uh, I would still be able to be engaged by uh, these uh, outlandish fight scenes where things, improbable things are done, you know, to be able to fight the other person, like... Uh, Using the whip to to snag the gun and right. throw it into the sand, stuff like that. Um, irritating was uh, so they had again once again she had enough money to to send missiles to each of the uh, Kingsmen's domiciles wherever they lived, uh, but somehow missed their plane because they were able to get on a plane and head over to the U.S. So I don't know, not 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 a very um, what do you call it fastidious or or attentive villain. Uh, good point. They should bring that up at the next uh, villain staff meeting. Lack of fastidiousness. I always hate to get that note. Yeah. <laughs> Will there be meetings? Yes. No union. Because we're villains. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Did Mary, you got it. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sorry. No, that was a gross point blank. Sorry. They're doing yeah. the uh, Assassin's yeah. Union. Brian Aykroyd's trying to sell them on their... Uh, yes. union going. Yeah. Will there be meetings? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Of course, no me. You know, also to have enough. She has enough money to destroy a ah. mountain's worth of of what do you call it? Of uh, anecdote, antidote. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> like all that antidote there, boom, gone. <laughs> that would make a hilarious Anec- anecdote. Anecdotally, that was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not only is this substance capable of curing the varicose veins you got on your face from smoking the chronic. But it's also a short, amusing, and unverifiable story about a person, place, or thing. Uh, Blanche? 
fascinating. Fascinating, I guess. Yes, that uh, that that they still manage to be uh, engaging and fun, um, uh, e- even if it's not necessarily as far over the top as the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was fun enough that yes, I will see the third one. Irritating is that uh, Channing Tatum, it seems, will be in the third one. However, I, I hope he wins me over. I really do, for the for the good of the franchise. Yeah, I want to enjoy it. So I, I hope I hope he wins me over, but right now I am not impressed. Okay. Plus that the uh, Haberdasher game got rebuilt while they were gone, so that's good. Yes, that, that was nice. <laughs> Although I never want to see Channing Tatum in a small brim bowler again. He just he just looked like a roll on deodorant. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when you see him in that outfit, you think, "Oh, good lord! I hope he just rips it off." Yes. Because that better be a rip-off costume. Because otherwise, I don't know why he's wearing it. He just holds the, out. Exactly. <laughs> he just holds. Exactly, because he's probably got plenty of tearaway pants left over from Magic Mike. Yes, that's the context where it would make sense. Otherwise, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not buying it. You're you're not on board. Not a fan. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, for me, one of the fascinating elements about Kingsman the Golden Circle, and, and this applies equally to the first movie, is that it never forgets it's a comic book. Sometimes, granted, it, it has a brief senior moment and thinks it's a Euro spy spoof from the 1960s with a grotesquely huge budget, but those moments are fleeting. Uh, having said that, for such a goofy circus of a film the villains plots in these things are uniformly grim i mean genocide is always on the menu whereas in the euro spy flicks which had a similar tone the stakes were usually considerably more moderate i mean it's like you must protect this scientist he's invented a laser or um you know those fiends are holding the world's greatest highlight player hostage you know now it's like hey have you ever smoked dope yeah, gonna die. You're all gonna die. Sorry. Well, that's like um, Secret Agent Super Dragon. They got people hooked on something. Hooked on a, a virulent strain of... Uh, Trident. Trident, that's right. The villains were pushing an addictive uh, super strain of sugarless gum. Now, see, that's that's a goofy plot. That's what I love about the 60s. Interesting that villains are some perversely altruistic. They like their intentions are good. That's true. She just wanted to get the DEA off our backs and get these products properly taxed and regulated. And Samuel L. Jackson, well, he wanted to murder billions of people, but he was willing to keep a select few, just enough to repopulate the Garden of Eden. So he wasn't, you know, a complete maniac. And you're forgetting her feminist slant of having busted open the glass ceiling of being the world's most successful businesswoman. Uh, that's true. I did forget that. I feel bad. You always do, yeah. Yeah, because really all she wanted was to be issued a business license to sell ecstasy and Special K on an industrial scale. (laughs) Although, you know, one of the characters in the film, one of the Kingsmen, scoffed at the seriousness of her plan and said, a drug dealer killing off her customers? That doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense. And they never really dealt with it. So I guess that's my irritating thing. The plot was a bit of a wiffle ball. It's true. What is she really getting out of this elaborate scheme of hers? But she also didn't believe, she didn't believe that the president was going to be such a prick. 
and allow that to happen. She believed it was a no-brainer. Of course you're going to save, save all, your all the people. Which made her seem stupider rather than smarter. It, she was hopeful and naive. Yeah. Believed in the best in humanity, and apparently she was kid. Well, she's never voted in a U.S. presidential election, that's for sure. We oddly made the president even more of a criminal and uh, a terrible person. Wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> Is that reality? Hold on. Yeah, you begin to question everything. Is this real life? Is this fantasy? Why am I quoting Bohemian Rhapsody? It's that kind of movie. So let's see. In the last movie, the American president gets his head blown off and has it coming. And in this film, the American president is let off in handcuffs and uh, and has it coming. So. Oh, if only that would happen in real. All right. Well, that's why we need comic book movies to satisfy our need for fantasy. Exactly. So true. All right. Any final thoughts? So when, when they step on the mine and he has this spray that freezes the trigger mechanism but only lasts for so long, why don't you have a spray that just, like, sticks it? You know, like a, this... <laughs> it's the mess. That's a very good point. Uh, I grant it, I don't have the kind of mind that would make for a good member of Q Branch, but I think even I could remember to bring along the crazy glue. Let your logic get in the way of a good story and death. No. <laughs> Must have... A noble sacrifice. Oh, uh, speaking of sacrifice, uh, and sacrifice is exactly not the word I want here. Uh, but one final thought, because they did uh, abandon one of the horriest of the Bond tropes, where he's usually paired with a younger woman. They brought back the actress who played the Swedish princess from the first film, who's eight years older than Taryn Egerton. So that was a nice spin. Uh, I was surprised when I realized she was going to be the love interest in the sequel because uh, she seemed like such a throwaway character. No, when a woman lets you in that way, she's a keeper. Gotcha. Good point. Good point. They, but they only if you save the world. But here's the thing. Should we lay odds on uh, that that's the joke they car- continue to carry over to the third film? Uh, you know what? I wouldn't bet against that. I'm not going to mm. take I don't think I'm going to take that back because, yeah, I have a feeling. So there we go. Kingsman the Golden Circle. Not quite as much fun as the original, but a comparable amount of anal sex. <laughs> but with now with the, the gay tinge to it, thanks to Elton and his invitation to Colin Firth. That's true. Now with now with added gay anal sex. <laughs> I like, like you backstage, want. yeah. Yeah, the backstage only, you know. Backstage pass. All right, my thanks to the new movie crew, Mary Clevenger, John Zero, Blanche Ramirez, and thanks to you for listening and for listening to whatever Jeff did in the first part of the show. I'm sure it was fascinating, fun, or horrifying. Probably all three. Well done, Jeff. And that's it for us. We'll be back in two weeks or less with some other nonsense. If you'd like to suggest movies or topics for us to discuss in the show, feel free. You can hit us up on Twitter. The handle is at the Slumgullion. Or you can leave a comment on our website, theslumgullion.com. Or email us, theslumgullion at AOL. Thanks again, and until later, later. Slum, slum, slum. Slumgullion, slumgullion, we've got season two of the slumgullion, Jeff and Scott still host the slumgullion, I still don't know what that word means.